0: Welcome to Rewildology, the nature podcast that explores the human side of conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Who else, like me, has been dreaming about traveling to Patagonia? like forever now. (laughs) To me, it is one of the most beautiful, gorgeous mountain ranges in the entire world, and probably, at least right now, the easiest place on the planet to spot pumas, aka cougars, aka mountain lions, aka (laughs) catamounts. In case you haven't heard much about Patagonia, or only know of the clothing brand, Patagonia is in the southern region of South America at the end tip of the Andes Mountains and is shared between Argentina and Chile. 90% of Patagonia is in Argentina and 10% is in Chile. This region is massive and includes over 1 million square miles of land and over 1.8 million square miles of sea. The western side of Patagonia is characterized by massive peaks, glaciers, fjords, and forest, and on the eastern side, you'll find steppe, open plains, and desert. Nothing like a good rain shadow for those who took biology 101. (laughs) To virtually explore Patagonia and daydream about traveling to the region even more, I invited Liliana Kusanovic onto the show. Liliana's grandfather immigrated to Chile from Croatia at the turn of the last century, to pursue new opportunities for his family. He found an unforgiving land that supported little agriculture, and so he decided to start a cattle ranch. Liliana was born in Chile and raised in Patagonia on her family's ranches and always had a deep connection with the area. In the 90s, after completing her MBA in the U.S., her father asked her to return to Patagonia to help him start a small lodge on his cattle ranch, for tourists visiting Torres del Paine National Park. Liliana returned home and in the past 30 years, her family's failing cattle ranch has become the Las Torres Reserve and a leader in sustainable tourism. We discuss so much, including why her father decided to go into hospitality when he had no experience in the field, how her family's land went from being a failing cattle business to a thriving sustainable tourism destination, the methods they use to increase wildlife biodiversity on their land, how conservation and tourism in Patagonia have changed over the years, the sustainable practice they've adopted, and her hopes for the future. Las Torres has been nominated by the 2023 World Travel Awards as a leader in South American sustainable tourism. After you're done listening to this episode, check out the link in the description and at the show notes to cast your vote and help Las Torres win this prestigious award. One last thing before diving in, I want to thank Braden Beaverton who left the show a five-star review on Apple Podcast and said, "Quote." Brooke is a natural at podcasting and she finds interesting stories and people that inform and inspire. Well, Braden Beaverton, I certainly feel that Liliana falls into this category. Everyone, please enjoy this great conversation with Liliana. Well, hi, Liliana. It's so wonderful sitting down with you, and I can't wait to go through. Oh my gosh, your years of knowledge and everything that we are going to explore together. But first, before we get to today and all the incredible stuff that you've experienced and gone through, where does your story begin? What were you like as a child? What was your childhood like? Just, yeah, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Okay. Hello, Brooke, and thank you for having me You and your program. Interesting program, so... My life had been all the time in Patagonia, you know, the last part of the, the world here, the little tale. And this part of the world is pretty, um, pretty empty, not too many people. And we are used to this. And so we are very much uh, enjoy the outside. The country is, is the main entertainment here. So uh, my father and my family had a ranch, as you know, I am over 60, so you can imagine that 60 years ago things were not like that today. We study, we work here, and we have ranches, so we are used to see wild animals. We usually uh, encounter these pumas or the huemul or all the other things because we live with them. And although we have a cattle ranch, that it was what we, my family usually do we are very aware of what the nature offer you. So I think we do have that uh, understanding of the relationship between nature and the human being. And that will help, help us a lot. And now in this new business that we have, that is tourism, hotel, and serving the people who come to have fun here.
0: Well, let's explore the history a little bit more to help put in context what Las says. is. So let's, I mean, let's go back to square one. Why did your grandfather decide to immigrate from, from what I read, he was originally from Croatia, correct? And he came to Chile. Why did he do that? What was the history there?
1: Well, my grandfather, uh, well, all my grandfather, because m- most of them are from Croatia, and uh, at the beginning, in 1900, because he was here in 1905, they had, a, they were having a bad times in Croatia. Yeah, in the island where they live, they they lived from the production of grapes, and there was a big uh, sickness of the vines. Everything was pretty bad. They were having a lot of problem, and many of them hungered. They, they couldn't eat, so. There was a big immigration to America because there was this gold rush and it was in North America and South America. So the first one who arrived to, to Chile and, and Punta Arenas, and, and where we live, and they find some gold, but there was not too much, but they never tell the other ones. <laughs> so everybody came, <laughs> so everybody came anyway. And they were uh, they developed, my family at least developed the the meat business. They have a butcher store, a little bit a butcher store, and they work with that, and they start growing. So that's why my grandfather started with the ranches. Uh, and they had to rent the land, so they put the cattle there to have it for the butcher store. And that's how it started our relation with the with the ranches. They came, um most of them, they came one and then the other, bring the brother, bring the other. So there was a, a big community of Croatians in my city, in Punta Arenas. Uh, they work in all, all kinds of things, but most of them were, uh, were people, workers, just workers, and they didn't have much uh, professional uh, studies. So... They work a lot here, and they, they develop the city, they did a lot of things, and they were very nice. You know, at the beginning of the center, all the, co- the colonies did something, they bring something with them, and all that culture stay still stay here, it's, 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 a, it's a very nice. We were like 30% of the population, the immigration wow. Wow. from Croatia.
0: That's a, yeah, wow, that's a big percent, wow. And for context, just to help listeners visualize where you are, where is your ranch located?
1: Well, we are, uh, you know, at the beginning when they arrived, when my father, grandfather arrived, these lands were already, most of them, they were already taken. And what it was left was uh, lands that were not as good. You divide it in three categories. They, they have, for them, the number three. They were not so good ranches, so they had to go far away from the city, uh, from the main cities. And most of these uh, ranches they rented were like 200 or 250 kilometers away from the city in a time when there were no good roads, no not good cars. So if you go there, you had to stay for a long time. So when we finished school, we had to go there and we stayed the whole summer in the ranch and nobody would move from there. And I said, this ranch because they rented one and then another and then another, so uh, uh, they never bought land. Just uh, they have their their own lands after 50 years of working in the the meat business. If if you see Patagonia has uh, like three cities, Punta Arenas, Puerto Natales, and then in, in Tierra del Fuego is Puerto Williams, and there's no more cities. So, in between Punta Arenas and Puerto Natales and 250 kilometers, and those in the middle, in, in between those two cities, uh, they have the ranches. He bought one uh, in, in 200 kilometers from Punta Arenas, and in the '79 he bought the one uh, in Torres del Paine. My father bought that because it was far away, it was cheap, Nobody was interested in the towers, it was just cattle land, uh, and he said, well, I will go, it's cheap, it probably will give me some, some returns, uh, my mother was upset because she said, well, so far away, who's going to go there? But it was a good buy, because after a few years, you know, what Torres Alpine Paine is, is now, so, and as soon as the tourists started coming and people started going going through the ranch, he decided to make a touristic business. So he changed. My father changed the, the, the kind of job that he did there. And, and that, that's why we started with the tourism. But it started because of the ranch, because nobody wanted to go to Torre de Pioneer. It was too far away, bad roads. It was like five or six hours from from Puerto Natales, so it was a big deal. Some people uh, had to start, if you started from Punta Arenas, it will take you two days to ride, to put that pine.
0: Wow, two days, wow. And was it already an established national park at that time?
1: No, the national park, well, when my father bought it, yes, uh, but not before. He bought it in 79, and the park started 78, so it was Oh, just-
0: wow, back to back.
1: Yeah, they, they have the park in the, the kind, the biggest part of the park is from 79, it was formed completely, but uh, the, the, the park, a little piece of the park in Lago Grey started in, like, in the 30s.
0: Mm. that makes sense.
1: Yeah, from the 30s to the 70s, there was no more, no much development of, like, as a park because they were not so important to develop, there. I think, that there was not a, a, a government policy for for working with the parks. But from the 79, when they just finished, the, and the amount of land that the park had, that is a big park, uh, there was a management from CONAF, uh, and then it, it started working very much on conservation from that time.
0: So... When did your father first have the idea for offering tourism? I mean, that had to have been a huge shift from a cattle ranch to start hosting people in hospitality. So do you, by chance, remember when he had that idea? And how did he start?
1: Well, you know, in, in the 80s, there was a big uh, economic Crash here, and uh, there was one of these economic problems, and everybody—not uh, everybody, but many people—lost everything what they have, and the economy was going down. Uh, my father was going through a lot of problems. So when when he uh, we, he worked a lot, and he just managed to stay stable, but he owed a lot of money, uh, and then. He, he said, he asked me, because I was studying in the United States, I was doing my MBA, and when I finished, he said, hey, could you help me? I want to see what happened here. It, it really, his business was not good, and it was difficult to go up, and I said, you have to, you have to work hard or find another thing or just move from cattle to chips or something that, improve your your entrance because you you know have income enough income so he managed to work with the banks and he started with that and then suddenly he, he called me and he said hey you know I'm gonna start a new business you said I had to do another business I'm gonna do a business in what? Yeah I was talking to some operators here tour operators and they said they need something in in Pine they don't have enough hotels and I think I'm going to do one. About that, you don't know anything about hotels? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> but he said, yeah, I'll do it. I, I'll find the way to learn, and they will help me. The, the tour operators, I'm going to do the sales, and I'm going to serve people here. It couldn't be more than when you invite friends, so <laughs> I will do it. Well, and, you know, he... He started with that. Uh, the banks helped him a lot and he started with first with nine rooms. Uh, but the operators said they were not so good. It was like a hostel. Uh, they wanted something better. So he then built ten more and with a with a better so it was a little hotel, a country hotel, uh, with with 18 rooms and one kitchen. Very basic. But at that time, the, the tourism, it was just at the beginning. So and it, that was 80, 80, 81, 91. He opened the hotel in the year 91. Yeah, he was so happy because he really liked to, to have people there and tell them that here is what I have. This is Torres del Paine. You can enjoy it. Okay, so he was really happy. He really enjoyed his business. And it was not easy, it was difficult because there were so many things. There was a difficult road. People do not want to go because, you know, roads are not so good. So at the beginning, it was hard. There was not so much yeah, market and difficult to operate the logistics and everything. It was, it was not so easy, but he was used to go there to, you know... We all have to learn how to live and solve problems when you don't have nobody else around. So that's one of the things that helped too. And, we, and he did it, he did it all right. Then on 93, I, started, I came back to Chile and I started working with him. At that time, he told me, well, I want you to help me because. I thought it was because I have the MBA and I have some, some more information, and he said, no, 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 you, you know English, and here nobody speaks English, so that's why I need you to help me. <laughs> so, so that was my, my, my best trait <laughs> to know English. So we started working together, and, and I worked with him for 18 years. And then I, I passed the button to my son, and, and now I'm only the director of the of the of the reserve.
0: Wow, that is such a, an incredible history, and let's talk about this now because if somebody goes to the website and looks at Las Torres and just this beautiful reserve that you've built, I mean, going from like a ten room lodge to that is crazy. So. Maybe could you just take me through a little bit of history since that day when you came back in 93 to now, wh- how have you grown? What else have you done? And, and yeah, just just, just kind of just take me through that, the history since then.
1: Well, we are happy and very proud that we this year have 30 years of our operation 30 years that we learned a lot, we went through a lot of things, uh, but it was a very nice job, I think. Uh, difficult or whatever you want to, but it was nice. And the thing is, uh, we started with this 10-room 10, uh, 10 hotel, but you know, it's I think it's the same customer that tell you what to do and how to do it, and. Since the marketing was working, people was coming, and there was no no enough room. So we always respond to the demand. Uh, more than that, we had to look for demand, we had to respond to an excessive demand. Uh, and that helped to grow. We grew we grew a little bit fast, but but we managed to do it uh, and we we start Building a better hotel in the year 95, we we opened really a real hotel. We were we stopped being a lodge or a hosteria or whatever. We made it bigger rooms with better quality, better better food, and mm. and we changed that beginning since the year 95. Uh, the other thing that helped was that. We have a very bad road, we have a river to cross, and it was a narrow bridge, and, and we managed to fix a little bit that road, and we better the quality of everything. I remember that the, the tour operators didn't want to go because they said, you have seven kilometers of very, very bad road, and I don't want to go through that if I can go to other hotel." So what we do, we improve the quality of the, um, the food and we have a, a gourmet menu. We have a very good chef and that changed everything because then all the people want to go because of the food
0: mm. and they forget mm.
1: about the seven kilometers of bad road.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: So you had to work things like that. <laughs> it was, a, it was an, um, a difficult thing because we have... To, to, not, to work with that bridge that it was two meters so you had to have you couldn't have trucks going through you couldn't have anything big than 190. Uh, so there was a lot of movement in that bridge. Uh, you had to to download big trucks to little trucks. Many, many things. Working pine it was always a difficulty, but you know you are in the mountain, mountains are difficult and you have to work with that and we did it and I think uh, we are very happy with all the results because then we start doing lodge for the uh, for the trekkers because people like to trek in Torre del Paine is one of the best trekking and we start doing lodge in places where they finish for with one one day trek and uh, we, we have four lodge and that make much easier the the walk through the park. And so, so, I tell you, the demand was the one who was mm, uh, asking us to do everything.
0: That's so cool.
1: We did this with a lot of difficulty because the people didn't have much knowledge. They didn't speak English. So we had to do a lot of capacitation. We had to work uh, bringing people from other places and now I'm so glad because, you know, here, everybody speaks English. Everybody can do the job. Everybody. So it's, it, I think we have accomplished not only uh, our business, but we have a lot of uh, improvement in the community because of this business. Not something that we do specifically, but, you know, it helped. This new business helped to develop the whole community. Uh, Torres del Paine had, like, five hotels, and this brings uh, a lot of uh, hotels to Natales. Puerto Natales had grown too. There was now big roads and there was pavement everywhere. And so the development of the whole city and the whole part of this country, it was thanks to the uh, tourism. So I think we had done a nice industry and we work a lot. And now the city and the, and the region, the whole region is much better.
0: Mm -hmm. And I would love because one of the main reasons why I wanted to chat specifically with you is your dedication to sustainable tourism and working with the environment and not trying to destroy it or anything. And I would love to talk about that for a little bit. When did you realize the need to embrace sustainable practices and how did you start to incorporate that into your day-to-day of running not only a sustainable lodge, but also one that had a really great experience? So how did you merge all of that together? What are some of the things that you've done to make that happen?
1: Well, uh, I think the same tourist Help you a lot because people when come with another views, they bring you those views and let you know what is interesting, what you need to know, what you need to improve. And we had that opportunity when we met a bird watchers. You know, I was always looking for open to a new pr- new products because just to have the hotel, uh, we need to do some excursions. But one of the excursions I thought it was very interesting was. The bird watching and I had the the, I think the luck uh, to have one guy that it was a guide it was a guide a bird watching guide and he said I want to do this I want to develop this product I know a lot about this but I don't know how to do the business and I would like to do it with you and I look at that and I look at the, the market study and I really I, th- I thought it was very interesting, and he came with work with us, and he started bringing these uh, tour operators from mainly United States, and they were bird watchers, very dedicated bird watchers, and they have all this view of sustainability everywhere. Uh, you know, there was this um, hunting, hunting tours, and that that there were on that time. And they didn't like that. And so, so they told me, well, why you don't just manage things so we don't destroy nature, we just work with them. And through this uh, companies, that it was international expedition at the time, and with uh, Fantástico Sur, Berding, that they were there. The, and I finally get him and make us a partner. And they, I think they provide us with a lot of, input for doing this because they always have scientists with them and they bring people it was the first time i thought about doing a management plan for the land because uh, they had these people that came and said well you had to do a management plan i said well what's that i don't know what <laughs> is a management plan for the land and they they did one for us and Then I understand what they mean and how they how they work. The the importance. Let's say that the, um, sometimes there was a big um, big hole in the in, in the vicinity of the hotel, but suddenly they disappear. And this guy said, "Well, why 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 that happened? Because you have to kill the the mouse in the hotel because the Ministry of Health." tell you you had to put venom and then kill the rats, and the rats go out, and these guys eat them, and they die. So, you know, these relationships that we have in the environment, and then just realize that everything goes together. And they help a lot with that. It was the, the tour operators, our partners, and then the same tourists. And we have a lot of help from them. Those don't make the thing that, we, well, you know, we were always worried about the the, the recycling, the, the waste, you had to manage the waste, you had to take it out. Those things were like natural, but all these other views came from them. And I had to thank you, thank them for, for all these improvements. Since so there, then you had all the scientists coming, and we were, we were very worried about helping them. You know, at the beginning, you don't have much money, but you let them sleep there, you feed them, and so they had to do their studies, and these studies are coming out. You use them, and so it was very, very nice. Uh, The importance of the the wetlands, the importance of the uh, biological corridors, all those things were very, very important. And then we were working for many years, and, and there were always this dispute with CONAF because we have cattle. Because we have the hotel, but we still been the, the land was a ranch anyway. But the cattle was something that the, the CONAF didn't like. it. The CONAF is the ranger, the park rangers. And, and then we didn't realize that it's because the cattle and the Wemul, our deer, were not, there was not a good combination. There were something, when most were that they, they left and no, nobody saw them. They're, they're, they, they are very shy animals and they don't like people, they don't like other cattle, so we Im- invade their environment. Well, the thing is that as fin- finally in the no- 2013, 2013, we left the cattle. We, we decided to take the cattle out, and that was the end of the ranching era for, for Torres del Paine, for our ranch there. But we have a lot of results with that because now we have remoults there in, in the land. Incredible. And, and besides, there is much more tourism, so the business of the cattle is not something that we lose a lot of money. So, so, we are very happy with that decision, and since then we're declared reserve because we we keep the land to work with the pasture reserve. We did to the man, a management plan with the guideline of the UICN number five, I think it is the one who do conservation but with business inside, so you can do some business but keep in some places for conservation. And it's working pretty well.
0: This sounds amazing. And that's the perfect segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about, and that's wildlife on your property. Since you're right beside this massive, beautiful, protected national park, and your reserve is not small by any means, how is wildlife managed on your property? Do you have like resident biologists that are studying them? And of course, the species most close to my heart, the puma. Do you have pumas? And if you do, how do you minimize conflict with a large predator or any of the other species that you have on your lands?
1: Well, at the beginning, it was difficult because uh, when you have cattle and the puma eat your cattle, you don't like pumas. Uh, but But then when we took the cattle out, and the pumas were there. we were worried about them being so close to the hotel. but we we were following the studies about the behavior of Puma and we, and here the puma is so far it's not a threat for people. they don't they don't even look at it. you know, they go through you and they don't even look at you. It's like you don't exist.' very very strange. Of course it's very scary, but it's a big cat. I don't like to be close to them, but uh, but if if you think that they, that is their land and you have to be careful, but not not so you have to live with them, is is interesting. It's interesting to see they they went through the the hotel many times or the lodge. You can see them very close. Uh, so wow. far, so far, there is no any problem with them and people. But uh, I can see that at the beginning and like ten years ago, they were full, full of uh, hares. Those like rabbits. <laughs> but there was a lot of them, so they hunt. They used to hunt them. But now there is none of them. I think they ate it all. I don't know mm-hmm. what they will follow. Uh, this year they were eating our horses. Yeah, so I, mm. I think maybe there is not enough Wanako. I don't know, but we'll we'll have to see it. What ha- with going here and it's very good, there is a dog that works with the cattle or the sheep. You put the dog with the sheep, and they feel like they are sheep, but they they bark and they are with the sheep, and the puma don't get close to them, so that is a very good tool for make both things working together. The puma go away, doesn't eat the sheep, and nobody kills the puma. In the National Park, we don't have the problem because there's no, there's no sheep or cattle. But we, we always tell the people, be careful, just don't get so close. But the puma lives with us. It's always there. It's incredible you have
0: to come. Liliana, I want to come so bad, it almost hurts. Like I can't even (laughs) describe how badly I want to come to Patagonia. Like it's, it is in the top two bucket list right now. I keep checking things off. And right now, yes, Patagonia is high up there. I'm just sure the wildlife just even what you've said in your own in your own time there, you've seen it changed. You've seen what happens when you take away the livestock and you take away the cattle and and the ranching and and the pumas come back and these endangered species come back. Like, that's just that's just so cool, you know. That's like conservation in action, which I love all about. And I, speaking of change, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is since you've You've been in the industry for a while and maybe a lot of us don't know the history of like tourism in Patagonia. How has it changed over the years from from your time, maybe like even when you started working in the 90s in the tourism industry in Patagonia, how has it changed in the area? Has it changed for the better? Has it changed for the worse? Is it becoming too much? Is there still room to grow? Yeah, maybe could you just give us a, a pulse on the status of tourism over the years up until today and what you, may, what you might predict for the future as well?
1: Well, I think it will work for the better because uh, at the beginning, you know, the, the cities, we, we have a lot, uh, about the same amount of people living in, in the region, is 150,000 but these people have been working and prepare themselves to work in tourism and you see a cultural change and you see um, better cities because because of the tourism there were many hotels many people that were with hostels there's this worry about the looking looking good so the houses now are painted the, the roads are better that we have better parts maybe not as nice as the rest of the world, but that we have a lot of improvement in that sense, and even the the attitude, people attitude is different because when you are so close and you are you don't have any other people, you are like shy and you don't want to go out, you don't want to talk, and now everybody is. Uh, I is very open and open-minded and everybody speaks English and so I think it's much for the better and besides that Tours del paine it had been um, a, a very special destination because it had been one of the first in Chile to develop as a with, with quality I think we could say that it's I think from there started to do better hotels, better gourmet, better, better everything, because in the nineties there was nothing in Chile, not too much. So I think it, it had been a mentality that will make you work with better, better people, better quality, you learn from, from your tour operators. You you can see what is in the world, and then in here in Chile was well-applicated, I think. So we were worried about quality, we were worried about uh, taking care of the environment, and we saw that those things were very important for our clients, so you had to follow it. Uh, and to me, I feel that there is no, no damage because of ma- massive tourism, because there's no way there could be massive, no no enough hotels, there's no enough uh, airlines to come here, so there's always a specific kind of tourist, the, the one who come here is so long distance, so you will never see here 5,000 people on a day, I don't think so. So, you have to be worried about, let's say, that when you go to the towers on that, Trail is one of the busiest, and for one of some years, there's too many people there. Well, you have to be worried about that. Do this, the trails so it will not be so crowded. And so things that you have to be aware of. And we are working on that. We are working in, 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 in improve that trail because uh, you cannot feel that, that you are in the middle of New York. No, no, you're you're in (laughs) Patagonia. So we were always worried about giving the sensation that you were in a free land with not many people and and then really enjoy that sense.
0: Mm, That sounds beautiful. And that's great to hear too. Yeah, just the exclusivity, that's not even the right term, just the remoteness of it. I mean, you really have to go out of your way to get there, which might protect it in the end. And on that same note, well, in in a similar vein, how has conservation in Chile changed over the years? Have you noticed a difference? And maybe, maybe is it a cultural? Is it like um, laws that have been put into place? What have you seen in the conservation realm in your country in the past few decades,
1: I think it has it had improved a lot, and uh, there is a lot of natural parks. There is some, some many, many private land that is dedicated to conservation. I was very, um, very happy to see in that uh, documentary of uh, Obama that is in our natural parks. You can see mm-hmm. there that, uh, that he make a lot of. The point that in Chile there is a lot of land for conservation. In Magallanes, in here, where we are, Patagonia, we have 53% of the land as natural parks. And beside that, we have some parks, foundations like the, the WWC that it has a lot of land there. There is some private lands that are for conservation, like Tompkins bought a lot of of things here and then people like us that dedicated some of the link to conservation and doing some business inside. So I will think easily here 60% of the land in in Magallanes, the whole Patagonia is for conservation and that is a big issue. There is a lot of investigation, there is a, a lot of care about it, I think um, they are Maybe, maybe of course you see, it will need some more or, or some more informa- more investigation, maybe. But what is done, I think, from from the 90s to now is 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 a lot a lot of difference. There is a big conservation issue here, and since we are so little people, because 150,000 for this big land, you don't see much people around. So it by itself it conserves. I think that the, all these trees and all these things that I believe is a big thing on conservation seeing the rest of the world.
0: Mm, yes. I look at Patagonia as almost a, a flagship of how to preserve just beautiful lands and beautiful spaces and, and how we can do it. And And one of the ways is through tourism, you know, monetizing that land to keep it pristine and beautiful and that we can go experience it in that way so yeah um i i mean because all the time patagonia is in the headlines you know for some sort of new conservation initiative or something like that you know everyone applauds chile for what the your country has done for your beautiful spaces so i just wanted i want to talk about that for a little bit because maybe some people don't know the history about patagonia and just how everything's gone in the right direction. <laughs> if that makes sense. So going back to you a little bit uh, and like reflecting on your time and watching your reserve grow, what do you hope for the future now as like what do you see or what do you hope to see for your lodge and maybe for Patagonia in general? What do you hope to see in the future?
1: Well I think that tourism will grow. Uh, we will have more people, probably every day there's more flights coming in. So we do have a lot of, of room for everybody. So we have to open new trails or maybe new places to visit so you will not have only one place so crowded. We had to manage that kind of um, a movement into the land because Torre del Paine is a big, big place. It has 250,000 hectares, and there's only 5,000 that are used for the people. So you open up a little bit, or you move uh, trails to other ways that are very beautiful too, you will never have that that crowded places, and you will feel the same thing that uh, you could keep conservating without damaging anything. So I feel that we will have more... More tourists, we will have better places to visit, and I think every day, uh, the all the hotels and the installation are improving. The cities are growing into that, so I feel like we will have a development, but a very a nice development. It's it's not mm-hmm. something that we will have to feel bad about it.
0: And also, before we started recording, you started to, uh, to tell me about an award that your lodge was just nominated for. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that?
1: Well, uh, we were very happy because this year we received two nominations for the World Travel Award. Uh, there is an, uh, an institution that prides companies that really care about the environment. They are sustainable. We have the first nomination for Green Hotel, uh, and that was great because we have a, a panel of experts that really choose uh, one company in South America. They nominated a company that really care about sustainable and have practice and initiative that really work into uh, keep the environment safe. And that nomination was done... Uh, this year, and now people have to vote uh, after uh, after they nominated, and and they have to vote to see if it's ours or somewhere in in the rest of the world. But the good thing is that that nomination, there's I think there are two companies from Argentina, and in Chile we are the only ones, so we are very happy because. What we are doing and what we are working on is working. Uh, it's knowing uh, people knowing about it, and, and it's really working because uh, it's, it's, it's noticed. And the other nomination was for sustainability. We do have programs on on the management of the land with the EOV certification. That is um, how how you. Uh, make the, the land better through the management of the horses because we have horses for the excursions into the pine and those horses are managed uh, in a way that holistic management is called and that uh, yeah. make improvement in the land so the CO2 is uh, recovered and uh, into the soil and we have certified for five years now that is working and doing pretty well. That's one of the initiatives. The other is sustainable cocktails, that uh, we have a bar where we uh, have all things sustainable. You have to use uh, the, the glasses that come from bottles, the, all the ingredients that are not the alcohol, but the other ingredients come from the, the same branch. We have, the, we have a garden, an organic garden, so all these things uh, worked together and gave us uh, this nomination. We were so happy. We, we got the prize and, and all this, uh, the waste management is the other thing. We have a very big problem in waste management. 2018 to now, we reduced uh, the trash from 2 kilos 50, uh, 540 grams to 570 grams. Per Uh person, per day. So that is great because management of waste management is a big issue there. Remember, we are in the park, so we have to take it out. So the reaction of that trash, it was a big issue and a big job. So we are very happy to accomplish all those things, and we were prized with this nomination award. So great. Um, And now we have decided that... That is uh, because of we we are a green hotel, perfect. We, we are very happy because it goes with our mission and our goal of being one of the, the biggest uh, on one of the best on, the, on doing sustainable tourism. So great. We are very happy with that nominations.
0: That's so exciting. And what is the best way for somebody to possibly look up more information on how can they come visit? Is there a good website to go to? Yeah, what's the best way to book and and come stay?
1: Well, you know, Internet now gave you all the information you want to. Uh, If you want to see Reserva Las Torres, Reserve Torres, Las Torres Reserve, we have all the information there. But if you see Patagonia, you will see a lot of information. I will recommend to come to Del Paine, you come here, but you will have to visit Punta Arenas, you have to visit other things so you will see the whole stuff because Mm -hmm. not everything is stored. Del Paine, one of the best views, but you have to visit everything. And some people go to Antarctica, it's it's the the place to start. You come to Punta Arenas and then go to Antarctica, It's, it's a very nice view. And you can do the, the trip to, to Torres del Paine in the meantime, while you wait the plane for the Antarctic. So I think uh, if you look for the information, you will have it everything. Um, and there's many tour operators that work a lot with Patagonia. So uh, if you don't feel like doing it by yourself, you can look at this operator that, that they will offer you a very good deal, too. Yeah, but you could get a lot of information on on the, especially in our page, Reserva Las Torres. <laughs> I see.
0: That's so exciting, and of course, I'll have those links in the show notes so that we can all contribute and get your lodge another fantastic award that you've more than earned for everything that you've done for the past thirty years, and just how much you've grown and added to tourism and Torres alpiney, And it's just incredible to hear. And and thank you for giving us this history of not only your lodge, but the park and how tourism has developed in the area. But yes, Liliana, you are amazing. And I appreciate so much you taking the time to sit down with me today and share everything that you've learned with us. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me here. It's interesting to meet you and, and your program. And, and really, I think you're helping on, the, on all these duties of conservation. So great. We hope to see you here soon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who else now wants to join me on a trip to Las Torres Reserve? I bet if enough of us come together, I am pretty much certain we can make this happen. <laughs> Let me know your thoughts by emailing me at hello at messaging on any of the show's social media accounts. You'll get to me. I don't have a social media manager or leaving a comment in the rewildologist Facebook group to help keep this show ad free. Please consider donating to the show or purchasing a piece of swag at the website. I'll be eternally grateful if you did that. Be sure to tag the show if you do buy a piece of swag so I can share it with everybody. There are also lots of free ways to support the show, including subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast app, leaving up to a five-star rating and review on podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, subscribing to the YouTube channel, signing up for the weekly Rewaterology newsletter at the website, and following the show on your favorite social media app. Lastly, I want to thank Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. To see the Focusrite gear I used to record the show, head on over to rewildology.com and check out nature podcasting under the resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel, story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.